If you have a, a Bible, if you would turn in it or turn it on to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. If you're using the, one of the Bibles in the pew rack or in the chair, if you want to turn to page 974, you'll be exactly where you need to be. Now, we're going to jump really into, into Galatians 4, and we're kind of jumping in literally into the middle of a section that, that's pretty emotional, pretty intense. The Apostle Paul at this point in Galatians 4 has a very, very heavy heart, and he's, he's deeply concerned for these people of Galatia, people he loves and cares for. And in part, I say that so you understand as we go through these verses, this is not going to be the most precise and logical treatise on theology. Paul is speaking from a heart of of deep concern, of, of caring for people. He loves these people, and yet as he looks at their lives, they are driving for a cliff. And it's a steep cliff, and Paul knows if they go off that cliff, the best result they're going to experience is incredible misery, and he doesn't want that. And so there's a sense in which Paul is wanting to cry out, trust Christ, have the freedom of God, experience that. He's wanting that. He doesn't want them to have misery. He wants them to have freedom. And so there's an intensity that Paul kicks into these verses right away. Now, throughout this series, we've talked about Martin Luther and his 95 Theses. And over the last chunk as we've been going through the series, I've been reading more about what took place and, and kind of understanding why the Reformation happened. And there's a sense in which Martin Luther was far from the only person concerned about what was going on. Part of why the Reformation became the Reformation was because there was this incredible groundswell of concern of people saying, something's not right, it shouldn't be this way. And in one sense, what was happening is a fire was being built. The the wood was in the fire and it was dry. And the kindling was there just waiting for a match. Martin Luther was simply a match that struck a fire that had been waiting because there was all this intensity building and now it exploded. Now, Paul's intense and Martin Luther's intense. What about us? Let's kind of go from them to, to us for a minute. I have no idea what happened in your last week. And I'll be honest, I have no idea what's going to happen in your week that's about to come. For some of us, we're living right now in a moment that feels very intense, and so intensity is really easy for us. But for some of us, all we're thinking about is, which stretchy pants do I wear on Thursday so I can eat extra? I mean, right? Aren't some of you thinking that? You know, you're planning your wardrobe for the week. I'll save those pants for Thursday, you know, kind of a thing. That's where we're at. And so it's a little bit hard for us to kind of be in this, Paul's in the tents, and we're like, I'm going to kind of miss what Paul's saying. To make sure we don't miss what Paul's saying and to kind of help us understand where he's coming from, I want to just kind of start by just sharing with you sort of two assumptions that I think most, if not everyone in this room, makes and operates by. Okay? So assumption number one would simply be this. We want our lives to be about more than suffering and misery. Okay? We want more from life than that. I don't think people wake up in the morning and go, I want to screw my life up as much as I can today. I, I don't think we do that. Now, we do that, but we don't mean to do that. Okay? Second assumption, I think, is we want happiness. We just want to be happy. 
We, we, we want that. Now, this is where intensity, though, can kind of become a part of life. Even though we want those things, I don't want my life just to be about suffering and misery, and I want to be happy. I want that to mark my life. Suffering and, min- suffering and misery are going to intersect your life. And there's going to be times in life where it kind of feels like suffering and misery, like you have a suitcase that you have to carry as you travel down the road of life, and every night when you stop, you open your suitcase again and to put your pajamas on, and they just say suffering and misery. And you try to get some sleep, and that doesn't go very well, but you get up the next morning, and you're thinking it's going to be better, and you look in your suitcase again for a change of clothes, and guess what they say? Suffering and misery. You're like, Ugh! When that happens, when suffering and misery keeps intersecting our lives, it's pretty easy for our lungs to be filled with intensity. And as Paul's looking at the Galatians, he kind of sees there's an intensity here. We need to address some things. We, we need to do some things. Here's another thing about us as people, though. When we encounter suffering and misery, when that happens... We want it to end. We just do. And if it can't end, we at least want relief. You know, and in our culture, in the world we live in, there's a lot of different voices out there telling us, here's how you can find relief, or here's how you can offer some kind of rescue. If you do this, you'll be rescued. If, If you do this, you'll have relief. And you'll hear a lot of those things. Well, the thing is, all those voices that come at us like that create, I think, at least two challenges for us. Okay? One challenge is kind of on the front end. Okay? Because there are so many voices, so there's so many messages coming at us, it can be hard for us on the front end to hear that God's call on our lives, what God desires for us, isn't that we'd simply have relief. What God wants you to hear this morning is God is calling us to be free, not just to kind of have a break from the suffering, but to know freedom even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of misery. We're going to look at a verse later on in Galatians, but Galatians 5.13 is one of the verses Paul states it really clearly when he says, for you were called the freedom brothers. Okay, That's what God wants for you and me. He wants us to know and experience freedom. But when we have all these noises, all these voices going on around us, it can be very hard for us to hear the voice of God say, you could be free. Freedom is what I want for you. Real practical terms, kind of a little bit of an aside. As a church, we've said one of the things that we want to be true about us as a church is that we're encouraging other people to follow Jesus. One of the reasons why we say that One of the reasons why it is so necessary that we share with people the story of Jesus is there are so many things going on around them. It can be incredibly hard for them, for people to even hear that message. If you and I aren't speaking it, aren't sharing it, aren't intersecting our lives with other people, they may never hear that there's freedom in Christ. And that is almost unfathomable. People need to know there's freedom in Christ. That's a front-end challenge. But there's kind of a in-the-middle challenge, I guess you could call it. 
And this is really where Paul is very, very concerned for the Galatians. Okay, the Galatians had heard they could be free and they trusted Christ. But now as they're trying to kind of follow and live in this freedom, again, all these voices are coming at them. They're hearing all these kinds of things and Paul's very concerned they're getting distracted and they're getting distracted by things that can cause incredible misery in their lives. I can remember being six years old and my parents took us to, to Disneyland as a family. And as a six-year-old, I can remember walking into to Frontierland and our family was kind of walking sort of across, you know, as six of us kind of spread out and I was on the, the far right side. And as I walked in to, to Frontierland and all these things are kind of hitting my visual cortex, I'm seeing all these things, there was, and I don't know if it's still there, but in my mind's eye, there was a shooting range over here. I'd never seen a shooting range before. And I was sure I just simply turned my head and kept walking, but really what happened was I stopped dead and I stared and I was like, how do I convince my dad to give? This is back in the day when you had to have tickets for things at Disney and they had different levels. Some of you aren't old enough to even know that, but I am. In my parents' house, you can still find a couple of leftover tickets we didn't use. Yeah, a lot of issues I'm having this morning, sorry. But it's like I froze there and I'm looking at the, the shooting range. And then I turn back and it's like, where's dad? Where's mom? And I mean, one of my, my oldest brother at that point was over six feet. I couldn't see Brian. I couldn't see Roger. And like, ah! I remember that was 49 and a half years ago, almost. I still remember that feeling of terror. That sense of terror is exactly what God doesn't want you to experience. God is calling us to freedom. He doesn't want us to be distracted by all these other things so we lose sight of Him. So we lose sight of the freedom He offers. He wants us to walk and live in that freedom. So really out of Paul's deep passionate concern for the Galatians. God, in essence, is saying in verse 12 to, to 20 of chapter 4, hey, this is how you live in freedom. This is what I want for you. I want you to know how to live freely, live in the freedom of Christ in a very noisy and confusing world. Now, let me back up and just underline a couple of things. Okay, God wants us to be free. We've said that. You say, well, how do you know God wants us to be free? Well, like we said in saying, lead me to the cross. We know God wants us to be free in part because of the cross. Because Jesus came and died on the cross in our place for our sins. And he literally rose again to offer to you and me to take us out of slavery and to allow us then to live a life of freedom with him. And the way we receive that, the way that becomes true for us, that we go from being slaves to free, is when we turn from sin, when we repent and trust the Lord Jesus. That's what God desires for us. Okay, He's calling us to be free. Now, in part, I'm underlining that because that's huge truth we all need to know. But also, if you haven't trusted Christ, 
Everything else we're going to say today is irrelevant to you. See, living free requires becoming free. And the only way to become free, the only way to have freedom, is to be rescued from slavery by God. And that's what God is offering you today. It's a huge question to ask you, is have you trusted Christ? Have you repented and trusted Him? Have you said, God, I know I'm a slave. You and you alone can set me free. Freedom starts by trusting Christ, but part of the big concern in these verses is how do you live free? How do you and I live in the freedom when there's so many things coming at us saying, if you do this, you'll be free. You'll do this, you'll be free. How do we live free in that context? Galatians chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul wrote these words. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Okay? Very simply, this is the whole message in a very few words. The big idea of how do you live free is this. Follow the right examples. If you want to be free, if you want to have the freedom that God offers in Christ, you must follow the right examples. That's, in essence, boiled down to a nutshell. In a world filled with a whole lot of options, okay, in the Galatian context, there was all kinds of false gods, idols that were being presented to them, and they were being presented the option of, hey, if you follow the Jewish law, if you do all these things right, then you'll be righteous before God. That was options for them. In our context, we have our own list of false gods, things that people offered us. If you have this, wow, life is going to be amazing. You know, sitting in an airplane and flipping through the magazine at one point, it's like, if I go to this plastic surgeon, my life will be perfect. If I have this steak, I will be perfect. If I have this piece of luggage, I'll be perfect. Really? Wow, where's my credit card? I'm just going to buy all this stuff. We have all these things saying, this is how you'll be free. And Paul is saying, time out. No, you won't. You'll be free when you follow the right example. Now, I want you to zoom in and look at verse 12 very carefully with me, okay? Here's what one of the things that I need you to understand about verse 12, and this isn't, it is sort of Bible trivia, I guess, but it's not trivial, Verse 12 in chapter 4 is the first command that Paul has given to the Galatians. It's the first command. He's told them a lot of things, but we're four chapters in before he says, here's what you've got to do. And basically he's saying, hey, I've wanted you to live free. That's what God desires for you. I want that for you. Here's how you do it. You follow the right example. You become like me. Now, in the middle of the verse... Okay, Paul says he became like them. Now, what is he talking about? Most likely what he's saying is, hey, I used to think that the way for me to be right before God, for me to have freedom, was is if I did the law, then God would say, you're a nice guy, Paul, and you're free. And Paul realized that doesn't work. So in essence, Paul said, I became like a Gentile. I became like somebody that didn't have the law. I became like you. Now he's saying, now I want you to become like me. I want you to follow my example. I want you to live the way I do. 
Now let's take it from Paul talking about the Galatians to be really sort of direct to you and me because this is applying it to our lives. If we're going to live in the freedom that God gives, Paul is telling us we need to follow the example of the apostles. If you and I are going to be free, if we're going to experience freedom, we follow the example of the apostles and you say, well, uh, that's going to be a little tricky. They're dead. I will agree with you, they are dead. But that doesn't mean it's tricky to follow their example. So, well, how's that work? To follow the example of the apostles in one sense, Paul's kind of already laid out in Galatians how we do that. Okay, we follow the example of the apostles by following what the apostles wrote in Scripture. Okay, and we know as Galatians has unfolded, the way you follow the example of the Bible, the way you do what God said to do, is you, as Paul has said repeatedly in Galatians, you live by faith. In essence, you take the promise of God that God has made. You take the commands of God. God is saying, this is what you need to do. And you trust that promise and you align with that promise. I'm going to act according to that promise. Now, here's the thing, folks. You and I aren't capable of doing that on our own. So another part of that that Galatians has talked about and we'll talk about more is that also means that we follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. The way we live out and follow the right example is we follow what God's Word says, we trust it, we put faith in what God said, and then the Holy Spirit, in essence, empowers us to do that. Moves behind us, moves in us, moves in front of us, pulling, pushing, motivating, encouraging us to walk that way. That's how we live this out. That's what needs to be true in our lives. That's kind of the big idea. Now, Paul's got more to say about the right example, and we need to look at that, but before we get there, let me kind of do sort of another application, kind of an aside here for a second. Specifically, I want to ask you a question, okay? And this question really only pertains to you. If you, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, this question's for you, okay? Here's the question. What kind of example are you leaving? What's the example of your life? Now, you could say, hang on a second. Paul's saying imitate Paul. Yes, he is saying imitate him. Follow his example. But here's the thing. People all around us are trying to figure out how do they follow the example of Paul. And the easiest way to follow the example of Paul in some ways is to be able to look and see, oh, there's somebody else living the example of Paul. I need to imitate them. I need to follow their example. I need to do that. So moms and dads, what kind of example are you living before your kids? Students, I know all the middle school and high school students are going to listen to this message on Monday morning as soon as it's put on the internet. So I have to talk to them even though they're not here. But Austin, you're here, so we're going to talk to you. Austin, what kind of example are you living out at Iowa State in front of your peers and your professor? That's a part of what Paul's concerned about right here. This is a real issue. What are you living out? For our senior saints... What kind of example are you living out before your neighbors? That's a huge issue for us. See, we're to follow this example, but we have to also live it out. Now, to be fair, 
if we're going to challenge each other and say, you need to live out this example, we probably should at least give ourselves some sense of what does this example look like? Well, what I want to do is kind of give you three components of what those examples look like, sort of things that Paul seems to hit on in these next few verses. Okay, this is not an exhaustive list. Okay? I don't know that I am capable of giving you an exhaustive list, and I don't know that God's so concerned about exhaustive lists. But he's going to kind of paint a picture, some things that should describe us. So component number one, what does it mean to, in that sense, live the right example so I know what the right example looks like and I know what I should be aiming for? Number one is accept people like Jesus accepts people. Okay, part of living the right example, part of knowing what example to follow, is I'm looking for somebody, are they accepting people the way Jesus did? Real quick, kind of backing up for a second, we're going to continue in Galatians 4, but just sort of a, a lot of asides this morning. I had a very scattered week in my mind, so that's why we have a lot of asides. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, the reason we look to Paul as an example isn't because Paul's amazing. It's because of Jesus. That's really what we're getting at. So verse 13 and 14 in Galatians 4, we're going to kind of get to where Paul's saying some things using an example here. You know it was because of my bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul says, hey, let's go back in time a little bit. Let's, let's do the history thing. Remember when I showed up in, in, in the region of Galatia. And Paul went there for some medical reason. We don't know what the medical reason was. Okay, but there was something in Paul's condition and, and it wasn't good. And yet out of that condition, Paul was able to share the gospel. And the amazing thing is, is even though Paul was in that condition, even though Paul was anything but looking pretty and attractive and all those things, they accepted him. They had heard the gospel. In essence, they started living out the gospel. They started living like Jesus by treating people just like people. You know, instead of saying, well, I'll talk to you, you know, if you're attractive. No, they just did. Have you ever sat on an airplane or been standing, waiting, you know, to get on a plane, and you look around at the other people and you're wondering, I wonder who's going to sit next to me? Yesterday, right smack in front of me on the last flight was a mother and a little boy. I don't think the mother had ever flown before. And the little boy had never flown before. And flight attendants really get mad when you get up, when they tell you you have to have your seatbelt on and stay seated. That little boy screamed for the last 25 minutes of the flight. Like, I don't want to be near them. I mean, there's a part of us that says that, but is that, am I really accepting people like Jesus did? You know, what are we doing? See, the characteristic or quality of accepting people like Jesus did, that's what followers of Christ should do. Romans chapter 15, verse 7, which is kind of a parallel passage, Paul basically says, welcome people the way Jesus welcomes people. So you read the four Gospels and say, how did Jesus interact with people? Well, with normal everyday people, what did Jesus do? He welcomed them. 
He accepted them. That doesn't mean he condoned what they did. A number of times he confronted in what they did. But he also realized that they were valuable. He realized that they were created in the image of God and should be treated, therefore, with dignity and respect. And Jesus did that. See, part of living free is not getting caught up in in the fallacies and the foolishness of things like racism and discrimination. Part of being a follower of Christ is treating other people with value and respect. That's the right example we need to follow. That's the right example we need to live out. Another component that I think Paul points at here kind of by application would basically be sacrifice. Part of the right example you and I should be looking for, what we should follow is sacrifice. Okay, living free doesn't mean you become self-absorbed and ignore other people, do whatever you want to do. Living free means a huge part of life should be about serving others and seeking to do what's best for them. Okay, verse 15, I think Paul is kind of pointing in that direction here when he says, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Okay, the Galatians had been living free lives. They'd been living, they'd been sort of living out that right example, but the wheels were kind of coming off the freedom bus. Okay, that's really part of the question in, at the beginning of verse 15. But Paul says, hey, let's, let's not just kind of get after you. Let's, let's back up and say, you know, remember when I came to town? and you received Christ and you started living out the gospel, you were literally going to give me your eyeballs. Now, some of you with weaker stomachs are kind of grossed out right now. And some of you are thinking, how do you gouge out an eyeball? Wow. Well, this verse has led some people to think, oh, Paul must have had a medical issue with his eyes. He could have. But as odd as it seems, this idea of gouging out the eyes is probably an expression they used in their culture. Okay, like you and I, and this is a dated one, but it was the best I could come up with. I'm old, I guess. You know, we might have in our day and age used to have said the expression, he'll give you the shirt off his back. He's so concerned for you. He wants to show you love and encouragement. So he'd literally take his shirt off and give it to you. Back in Galatia, they'd say, he'd give you your eyeballs. It's a word picture. It's not necessarily a literal thing. It might be, but it's more, they're so concerned. They want to show love. They want to express it. They'll sacrifice. Now, huge application out of that then. Where is sacrifice in your life? Where is sacrifice in my life? You know, I think we face a great danger because we live in a, an environment, we live in a culture that's so much about being consumers, about being people who want things and who should get things and should get them when we want them. We live in a culture that's very much sort of selfish and me getting what I want. Selfish living never produces freedom. The only reason you and I have freedom is because of sacrifice. Third component, what else does Paul say this right example looks like? Third component would be, I think, sort of aligning life with God's truth. Okay, nobody is a perfect example. 
Paul wasn't. I know I'm not. So a part of life is really striving towards being, in one sense, being a better example. What do I, how do I get there? Well, look at verse 16. Paul says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? The Galatians were hearing a lot of messages about how they could be free, but really those messages were simply pulling them away from freedom and towards slavery. So out of concern, out of love for them, Paul says, hey, please face the truth. One of the things that really helped my mom this week was when we sat down with uh, a thoracic surgeon. And the thoracic surgeon kind of rolled up on his chair and looked my mom in the eye and said, can I be honest with you? And my mom said, that would really help. And so with compassion, he was really honest. Why? Because there's something about the truth that helps us cope with life. See, the message is what you need and what I need in my life isn't for someone to just tell me something to make me feel good for a second. It's to actually put into my life the truth I need so that I can go for the long term. And I think that's what Paul's pointing at here. Did I become your enemy because I told you the truth? I'm trying to lead you to freedom. Here it is. Freedom's found in truth. What we need, if we're going to be the right example, is we need to be people who are trying to align our lives with truth and encouraging others to say, here's the truth of God, let's align with this. Now, there's a whole lot more to probably being an example than that, but that's kind of where Paul starts. But then he's going to shift gears, and in one sense, he's going to ask the question. Now, maybe we need to address the question, do I need to be concerned about the right example? I mean, is that really an issue? Do I need to be concerned? Through conversation with enough of you, I know that some of you are skeptical. I know that some of us in the room are a little bit cynical. And we're like, do I really need a right example? I mean, come on. I'm smart. I can do this myself. Then look at verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. We think what Paul's doing here is he's saying to the Galatians, hey, let's just talk about the false teachers for a minute. And these false teachers, they're, they're going to show interest in you. They, they've shown interest in you, but you need to understand that wasn't a sincere interest. Basically, what they were trying to do, Galatians, is they were trying to sort of manipulate you so that you would do what they want, so that they could feel better about themselves. Maybe one of the ways you could put this into our context today would be um, Someone might take an interest in your social media account and say, put likes on all your things so that you'll then like them back so that they can, you can be sucked into their world. Their self-esteem, their worth and value is based on you thinking they're impressive and so they're going to say nice things about you so that you'll build them up. But they're not trying to point you to Jesus. They're just trying to suck you into their world. Paul says, you got to be careful. There's a lot of people trying to be examples, but a lot of them aren't good. 
verse 18, he seems to further the thought a little bit so we don't go someplace we shouldn't go, but he says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. Now, verse 18, I'll be honest, is a little confusing and I think it's a little bit of an aside because Paul is not saying never take an interest in a person and he's not saying if someone takes an interest in you, run away from them. Because here's the reality. If you and I are going to share with somebody about the fact that God loves them, about the fact that Jesus died for them and wants them to be set free through the resurrection, you better take an interest in that person. We take an interest in each other because we love and care for another person. Paul's not saying we don't do that. He's saying we do do that, but we do that for a good purpose. We don't do it so that we're built up. We do it because that's for their good. We're concerned for them. Do we need to be concerned about the right examples? Yes. Why? Because a lot of people want to be an example, want to influence us, but they may be doing that to manipulate us, not to lead us to God's best. Let me try and land this plane, so to speak. Answering one more question. Does any of this matter? I mean, do I need to be concerned about this? Is this something that really should bubble up in my attention? Verse 19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. To Paul, this whole thing, all of this, matters in an intense way. This is really where he's putting that intensity on display. And he does it by using really a very odd word picture. Okay, he's calling them his little children. So he kind of gives you this word picture of, you know, Paul's bending down talking to a little three-year-old. But then he says, I'm in childbirth for you. Now, most three-year-olds aren't still being born. But Paul's saying, here's an intense thing. And I've never had a baby. I've observed my wife having four of them. It's pretty intense. It hurts. And Paul's saying, I'm in that kind of pain for you. I'm in agony for you. I want you to be free. I want you to be like Christ. But you need to understand Galatians. That's at risk right now. You're not following the right example and you're headed where you don't need to be going. See, Paul's writing with this sort of huge biblical truth, huge truth from God in his mind. And that is that it is God's desire for you to be like the Lord Jesus. In fact, from God's perspective, the greatest thing that could happen to you is that you would become like Jesus Christ. So many of the things we put value in aren't that significant, but being like Christ, that is the thing. That is the ultimate. And Paul says, that's at risk right now. I don't want that for you. See, Paul says, if anything threatens you and I becoming like the Lord Jesus, that is a huge deal. It's a big deal to your soul. So much so that Paul says this in verse 20, I wish that I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. God is calling all of us to be free, to live in freedom, 
not to live a life that would perplex an apostle. Paul knows something we need to know, and that is there's a lot of things that will threaten our souls. The Galatians were being threatened because they thought they had to perform at a certain level to be accepted by God. It was a lie and it was threatening their souls, but they just kept going there. And Paul says, I'm perplexed by that. Question for each of us. What would perplex Paul about us? Or to turn the tables from Paul's perspective to us, what's threatening our souls? What things go on in our lives that threaten our souls? To answer that question, I I was reading from people that I think are much wiser and more discerning than I am, and I could probably give you a longer list, but three things just real quick that struck out. One was this, and it was interesting because I wasn't reading them because they were all having a dialogue about this. This was unrelated things I was finding. But one of the things was basically if what triggers you to worship is your preference of a music style and not an overwhelming sense of being awed by the love and majesty of God. There's an issue in your soul you better address. Because that's a freedom issue, folks. You're making worship then about you instead of about God. And that's huge. Another issue that they raised and struck me was our values. Most of us kind of operate, we don't necessarily have a list of values, but we kind of in one sense do. We we operate and we do things in life because we value it. And we value it because we're pretty sure it's right. But they, they kind of said, hey, do you and I ever stop and say, how does my value align with what God says? That's a freedom issue. See, you and I could be sucked in and be doing something because we like it. And yet it really is a barrier and a threat to my soul and I don't even realize it. Or a third thing, which in one sense came up this morning in class. Are you submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? When was the last time When was the last time that you, in a sense, denied yourself and did what God was asking you to do so that you walked away from something, maybe something clearly sinful or maybe something that wasn't necessarily sinful but wasn't what God wanted? If you and I aren't denying ourselves and aren't walking away from that, our souls are threatened. So is our freedom. God is calling each and every single one of us to freedom. But sadly, you and I can miss out on that freedom. So please, hear through the words of Galatians 4, the strong and tender voice of God saying to each of us, let go of the wrong example. That wrong example that leads to slavery and follow the right example. 
that leads to freedom. Let us be free. Let us live free. To do that, we need the right example. This morning, to kind of end the service, the sermon technically is just done, but to end the service, we, we want to welcome a couple of new members formally in. And so I'm going to ask...